0: to For the Love of Dogs with Dennis Wolf. And what a beautiful day it is. And what a great day it is just to have your dog and snuggling your puppy. A lot of people lately have been having a lot of issues though with their dogs. I've never seen so many little aggressive dogs. Since I, I mean, I've been doing this since I was in 4-H when I was like nine years old. And I've been working with people's dogs and exotic animals and the chipmunk or squirrel or bird that fell out of the sky and what I'm starting to realize that so many people who are having issues with dogs who are being aggressive yes it's genetics a lot of times because there's a lot of people who are buying the mixed breed you know dogs whatever the designer du jour dog is and some of them are great I mean like anything some of these dogs are just I mean they're adorable they're very very cute when they're little but we have to start treating these dogs like dogs, and I started realizing a long time ago, but it just really hit me this past week I had I think it was six to say five six dogs, all under probably fifteen pounds, all who've had multiple bites, and they 're between five months old and a year and a half old now why is that happening? Why are there so many of these dogs that are just biting people, and I mean, a few of them have got multiple bites. One had six different bites, and that was one that was like 10 months old. So on people, on, on dogs, they have terrible temperaments, or they're very sweet, and then they're afraid of things. So what is it exactly that's causing this problem? Is it the poor breeding? It could be, for sure. I mean, it's, it's hard when you don't have good genetics behind you, but I think it's much more than that. Never before have we had so many people who've never had dogs or who graduated downward from big dogs to little dogs. And let's face it, there's nothing cuter than a puppy. And if you see some of these mixed breed designer dogs, I mean, these things are just so cute. They look like little stuffed animals. So it's like having a baby, right? Everybody, all adults, they're coochie gooing and using baby voices. Same thing's happening with dogs. We're treating the puppies and we're treating these cute little fluffy things like they're not dogs. So what's happening is we're using a weak, kind of unstable energy. We are becoming lower than they are in, in the pecking order, so to speak. And we're not going to get into pack dominance and all that junk. But what we are going to do is talk about how you can prevent this from happening. And if you have a neighbor, you have a friend. You have somebody in your life who says, hey, I bought this cute little puppy, and it's bitten my kid, or it's bitten me, or it's chasing people down, or it's chasing other animals, or it's afraid, or it's peeing when you pick it up, what they call submissive peeing. Sometimes it's submissive, sometimes it's excitable. Uh, But all of these dogs deserve the same life as my Rhodesian Ridgebacks. They're living in a beautiful home with the top, top, top organic food and the best veterinary care and all those things. But it's not that people aren't giving these dogs the care or the attention. The problem is they're not giving these dogs rules. And when you start forgetting that dogs are dogs, regardless of if they're a four-pound Maltese-Poodle-Bijon mix or a 20-pound Cocker Spaniel poodle mix, or a 90-pound Labrador Retriever poodle with whatever else is in it mixed. It doesn't matter because you have to give the same rules to those dogs, regardless of size. And that's not what really happens. Think about what we do. Now, I don't do it, but pretty much everybody does it, and you guys can rat yourselves or your family members or spouse or kids out on this. When you look at a Rottweiler, do you make it the baby faces and the coochie coochie gooing, or do you respect the dog? You make sure the dog isn't going to jump. The dog learns to have personal space. Dog learns not to bark at people, not to be aggressive because it's a Rottweiler. And guess what? There are not that many bad Rottweilers. I'm not saying there are no bad Rottweilers, but there are a lot of good ones because the people who get a Rottweiler or a Pitbull or a German Shepherd, <laughs> typically those people realize that these dogs are large breeds that could potentially have issues like any dog. So people are a little firmer. They're a little tougher. They're a little more focused on setting rules, keeping boundaries, observing all the things so that the dog understands, hey, you're not in charge. Because if, you, if your dog, let's face it, your dog and you've got a 150-pound Rottweiler, and that dog starts thinking it's above you, then it's going to be like the phone calls my husband used to get when he was um, the, the captain and started all these drug um, narcotics units and the D.A.R.E. program where he would get, and I remember when we were first dating, he got a phone call while I was with him. We were in his office, and a lady called and said, I'd like to donate my Rottweiler to you. And it was a Friday afternoon, and my husband said, okay, no problem. Uh, you know, we can come out Monday or Tuesday. She said, no, you need to come now. And he said, well, I'm sorry, you know, uh, it's like 3.30 and, you know, I won't be able to get there and we have to do some paperwork to to pick the dog up. And and she just said, no, no, you have to come now. And he said, well, why do I have to come now? She said, because my husband's away. It's his Rottweiler. The dog just loves him. And the dog has us locked in the bathroom and it's growling. We can't get out of the bathroom because my husband's not here and he's away for a week on a a business trip. And my husband and I went over and he went in and was able to get the Rottweiler who did in fact have the family pinned in the, in the uh, bathroom. And that dog wound up being a fantastic police dog. But Certain breeds bond very strongly to just one specific person. Rottweilers do, German Shepherds do, Rhodesian Ridgebacks do. doesn't mean that's bad. It makes Ridgebacks phenomenal service dogs because they bond to their person and you don't have to worry that they're going to run away or be distracted. They're focused on their person. So why am I telling you this? Well, you know, there's always a story. And the stories help you to understand why you shouldn't do the same thing that this Family had done. When you have a little dog, and it's almost always the smaller ones, we don't treat them like dogs. They're they're little, you know, like stuffed animals. They're like little babies. So we scooch them and coochie coo them and everything else. And there's always one person that this puppy gets most bonded to. So a lot of times, the female dogs will get more bonded to a male human, and a male dog will become more bonded to a female human. It's just the way it is. It's not always, but it's, it's most of the time. So now let's say we have, oh, a 15-pound or 12-pound little, um, let's say, a Maltese poodle mix. Um, and I do have one here that uh, is exactly doing that. The dog is basically possessive of a la War of the Roses or, um, you know, Fatal Attraction. And, I, and I'm not kidding here. The dog will attack the family, will attack the wife, will go after the child, the daughter, who the dog also loves. But when the man is around, when the husband's around, this dog turns into Cujo. So I have a great relationship with this dog. The dog is actually here at my house now um, at the rehabilitation and training facility and is in my home. And this dog is a good little dog she's been, after the third day, she decided that she was going to be a good girl. We can do everything with her. We can pick her up. We can uh, let her be with the other dogs. She's social. She's behaving herself well. Now, what's the problem? Okay, great. I fixed the dog. Well, I fix dogs all the time. I fix 35,000 plus dogs with behavioral issues. So what's the big deal about this little dog? The big deal is that when this dog goes home, I have a feeling that dad, right, the husband, is going to think it's cute like he did, thought it was very cute that the dog is protective of him, but it's biting his wife, it's biting his kids, and he thinks it's cute. So if I can't change the human, I can't change the dog. That's the problem is changing humans. There's not enough hair dye for a behaviorist like myself to be able to fix the humans because the humans have to be on board and cooperating. I have said this for years. I do relationship-based behavior. It's natural canine behavior rehabilitation, meaning it's working in concert with what dogs naturally think, how they naturally act and react to things. So there's no way in the world that this dog is going to go back home and be as well-behaved as she is here because we have rules. She's sweet. We haven't laid a finger on her. We hate these crazy people with shock collars and prong collars and choker chains and zapping and throwing things. That's not helping a relationship. But the problem is that if somebody, in this case, the, the husband, thinks it's cute When this dog does that, and this dog has bitten quite a few people, including the wife, multiple times, if he continues to have that behavior, I can't fix it because I can only change the dog if I can change what the human is doing in relation to the dog. So this is something I've been preaching for 35 years. Um, I'd love to say I was 28 years old. I'm not. I've been around a long time. And I've got expertise that most people would never even be able to dream of. And I'm telling you, please listen to me. Please, please stop babying the dog. You can love that dog. You can play with that dog. You can spoil that dog. You can enjoy that dog. That's what you should be doing. But don't spoil the dog rotten. Spoiling rotten is a spoiled brat. Spoiling the dog is giving it what you want it to have, letting it know that, yeah, you know, I'm here for you, buddy. Here's a bone. Here's a toy. Here's a cookie. Um, You know, I'm going to take you for walks. I'm going to do all these fun things with you and for you. And I love you so, so much, puppy. But you can't spoil that dog rotten because the little dogs proportionally are way more aggressive. And I know everybody gives pit bulls a bad rep, you know, bad name, bad rep. I have a couple at my ranch, you know, and, and oh, they're, they're tough dogs. They can be tough dogs, but they can be the sweetest dogs in the world. But I will tell you something. I've been bitten probably five times as much, if not more, by the little mixes of mixes of things, and especially the smaller ones, 30 pounds and under than I've ever been bitten by pit bulls. And I've worked for my whole career with people who rescue pit bulls from dog fights, people who rescue dogs from bad breeding situations, people who have a dog that's a stray that they found in Newark or Patterson or, or some, you know, place that has, you know, fights. I've rescued dogs. I've worked with these dogs. And I'm telling you, what I see with everybody now first-time dog owners and people who've had dogs and they're downsizing to a smaller dog is please give the dog what it needs. Stop saying that pit bulls are the worst dogs in the world because I've been bitten, and I think any trainer, even local obedience trainer, is going to tell you they've probably been bitten more by these little dogs than they've ever been bitten by pit bulls, German Shepherds. I mean, Rottweilers, people, oh, Rottweilers are bad. I've done very few Rottweilers that couldn't be fixed. Um, they're usually good dogs. They're usually, you know, because people who get them are dog owners most of the time who've had multiple dogs. They know they're getting a Rottweiler, so they're a little bit more firm. And it doesn't mean you need to be using crazy things like shot collars and prong collars and choker chains and squirting them and, you know, kicking them and punching them and, 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 and just throwing things at them like some of these crazy people do. But you need to be consistent. You hear that word all the time. What does consistent mean? It means stop changing what you're doing and stop everybody in your family from changing what they're doing. Because when you have set rules, it's very easy to be successful. It's very easy to know exactly what you're supposed to do. Imagine a child going into school And one day they wear a uniform, and the next day they have to wear shorts, and then the next day they have to wear long pants, and the next day they have to wear scrubs, and then the fourth day or the fifth day, there's no rules. And the kids go, well, what am I supposed to wear today? Because you're not being consistent. That's why the best thing you can do for your dog, it's not to be firm, it's not to be tough, it's not to be the pack leader, it's not to... Just give your dog like you're a human pet dispenser, treat after treat after treat after treat, teach him, leave it, go, no, stop, down, sit, all these crazy things. Just be consistent when you come into the house or anybody comes into your house. Stop letting your dog jump on you and petting him to reward him for jumping on you. And then... You come in when you're dressed up nicely, either coming home from work or you're going out to to eat or if we're doing that anymore, or you're going to a wedding or a bar mitzvah or something where you're dressed up and then you yell, oh my God, he jumped up on me. He's got his paw prints on me and he just ripped my stockings. But you taught him it was okay to do that. You taught him to do that. You specifically created that problem. But who gets in trouble? The dog. Or in this case that I was telling you about this little dog, the little poodle, uh, Yorkie, whatever it is, mix. The one daughter, she thinks it's really cute. She picks the dog up. She does things that I've told her specifically not to do. She's a kid, though. So what happens? Well, the dog doesn't like it because she's not picking the dog up properly. She's not supporting the dog, so sometimes the dog snaps at her. So whose fault is it? Is it the dog's fault? Now, true in my world, dogs should never snap. I don't care what's going on. A dog should never snap, growl, snarl, or bite a human, ever. Because unfortunately, whether I want it to happen or not, humans have to be coming first. Humans have to be the ones who are in charge and are seen as not becoming injured. So if we have a baby, like the one woman I was speaking with today, her baby got bitten by her little Maltipoo, uh, Maltese poodle mix, and God knows what else, because the dog uh, honestly doesn't look like it's got Maltese. It looks like more like it's got a little bit of Terrier or, or Westie or something. But nonetheless, she said, well, the dog growls at my son all the time but it's never snapped before. And I was like, but growling at your son was okay? She said, well, my son isn't that gentle with the dog. And I said, but whose fault is that? You know, the dog didn't bite your son. You bit your son. And she was like, what do you mean I bit my son? She said, the dog bit my son. I said, but you're the one who taught the dog that you were not protecting him. You weren't keeping your son from hurting the dog. So in my world, dogs are not allowed to bite humans. But in my world, the humans are super clear. The humans don't allow dogs to jump up because if I want my dogs to jump, I have a command. My dogs will do everything. My dogs are amazing. People can't even believe I can have this many dogs. And they all are so well-behaved and they get along so well. But the point being, that's because the rules in my house are the same, whether it was for Wyatt or Savannah or Wispa or Kayla, or any of them, or Lexi, who's 15 years old and probably 19 pounds. It doesn't matter. Every dog who comes into this house, whether it's my dog or it's a visitor's dog, guest dog, has the same rules, the same way as if a human comes into my house, they're not allowed to steal my things, they're not allowed to break my things, they're not allowed to smoke in here. They're not allowed to come into my house, period, right now with COVID, but they're not allowed to come in without a mask if I do allow them in. Everyone, it's just the rules. It's not dependent on whether the Pope wants to come in or the head of a big company wants to come in or a famous celebrity wants to come in. It doesn't matter. Those are the house rules. And that's why all the dogs who come in, know the rules or learn the rules very quickly because they watch my dogs and my dogs don't jump and if their dog jumps and i correct it then the dog learns oh yeah i see that nobody else jumps biting a person heck no but whose fault is it it's and and i'm with all due respect to the lady because she's probably listening you don't allow a dog to be abused or frightened or terrorized By a three-year-old or by anyone, you wouldn't allow it. Think about for a minute, instead of that dog being a dog, imagine that dog was your eight-month-old baby. Would you allow your three-year-old to pick the baby up inappropriately, pick it up by its middle, flail it around, poke it, squeeze it? No, you wouldn't do that. But you allow this puppy to be pretty much neglected and abused, and you're not doing it intentionally. I know you don't want that to happen, but you need to teach as much as possible the 3-year-old how to handle a puppy, or better yet, you probably should have waited until the 3-year-old was like 6 or 7 where the child would now understand rules and would understand things. So it's not fair to expect a puppy to be following rules and following um, guidelines when the three-year-old is breaking every rule and guideline. So I, I have clients in out west, and we have pretty much uh, weekly or, or semi-weekly calls, and they have two little kids. One is probably three and a half. The other is maybe one and a half or two. And the kids are they're adorable children, but they're not really those kind of kids who just are very gentle and easygoing. They're running around, they're playing, there's a lot of chaos. They have a lovely dog, but this dog growls at the kids, and it's the same thing. The dog growling at a child doesn't mean the dog doesn't like your child. It typically means that your child's energy is unstable. Dogs will not follow a weak or unstable energy. They just won't. That's why the more calm and confident, like when I walk into a house, People always say that. They say, you know, Janice, like, you're here for, like, five seconds or, like, a minute. And my dogs are already totally different. Why? Because when I come in and the dog jumps on me, I give him a gentle correction. When the dog starts doing something wrong, I walk through him. When the dog is jumping up on the owner, I give him a little, you know, little gentle nudge. And the dog learns in in seconds that, oh, okay, you're in charge here. Most dogs do not want to be bad, right? You always have those, like, Cheruby dogs that just kind of, you know, look at you, and and a lot of the the poodle mixes, not the poodles per se, but the poodle mixes, you know, they have kind of like an attitude, some of them, especially when you mix it with, like, a Maltese or something, that's a showy little dog to start with. So what happens is we are unclear with the dogs the dogs don't know what we want from moment to moment, day to day, so everything changes. So what happens is the dog suddenly, who's looking for rules, doesn't get rules. I come in, and I give the dog rules, and the dog goes, oh my God, thank you, somebody's telling me what you want me to do. Dogs don't typically want and misbehave, but they don't know what you want, and you're not clear with what you want, and think about it. In another sense, think about in a business deal, think of like you're going to look for, at a, you know, for homes with a realtor, right? You're going and you talk to the realtor and you say, hey, I'm looking for a house and I want you to help me find one. Great. Okay. The realtor says, what kind of things do you want in the house? How much are you willing to spend? Oh, I don't know. Uh, you know, just a nice house with enough bedrooms and, you know, some space. Okay. What style do you like? Oh, I don't know. Any style. And The more times you answer that realtor and say you don't know what you're looking for, the less chance there is that realtor is actually going to take you seriously because you don't know what you want. So how about conversely, because I'm always looking for places to buy or places to, to move or whatever, you know, nice warm place was sounding really good after the last few months we've had here. So if I call up and I say, listen, I'm looking for something. I'm just throwing it out there, okay? Looking for something on the water. I want a slip. Um, I want to have at least a half acre. Uh, the style of the house isn't important, but I do want to have a minimum of, let's say, six bedrooms. And I also want to make sure that it's not super modern, but it's updated. What do you have? Well, now, and I give them a price, okay? So now the realtor says to herself or himself, ah, this person knows what they're looking for, the chance of my finding something for this person are much greater because I'm not going to be looking at a 1,000 listings. I'm going to look at maybe 15 listings. So then you start to learn what that person wants, and that's very much like rules. What are the rules in your house? Think about for your kids. What are the rules we have, most of us, for our children? Okay, first rule is, you got to do well in school, usually. That's one of the things we want. doesn't mean you have to get straight A's, but you've got to try your best. You have to be a good person. Be kind to other people. Don't be a bully. Don't be mean to people. Okay? And what's another one? Don't steal. Another one, don't do drugs, even though marijuana is legal now in a lot of states. So don't do whatever is important. So what are some other things? Don't cheat on a test. Don't blame somebody else for something you do. If you do something wrong, come to mom and dad. We are going to understand that, but don't let it come to, to me where I don't hear it from you because then you're going to be in trouble. So we give our children rules, and you'll see the kids who have more rules are typically the better behaved kids. Now, if you have one of those awesome, awesome kids, and I know a lot of these kids, but if you have one of these really awesome, awesome kids who you know is going to just be a good kid you relax the rules because the child already is behaving within the constraints of those rules but if you have two kids and one of them is the valedictorian of the high school and never comes home late and always is very reliable and comes home and does what he or she is supposed to do That child already knows the rules. So that child doesn't need to be taught more rules. But your other child who was trying drugs and was out late and doesn't come in a curfew and is failing in school, not trying at all, um, is mouthing off to you, is calling you names, and that's usually not a good thing for parents. That child who, let's say, hits you or slaps you or curses you out, that child needs rules. And that's what I'm saying. Why don't we just give all the kids the rules that we want, all the dogs? They all get the same rules. What are the rules for your dog? Most of you will say, well, he can't pee in the house. Well, gee, if I come in your house, is that the same rule? I I can't pee in your house? I mean, that's an easy rule but you're not thinking like a dog. You're thinking like a human and dogs think like dogs and dogs do what dogs do because they're dogs. They're not humans. So if you want for the dog to start treating you with respect, you've got to respect the fact that he's a dog or she's a dog and that that dog needs certain things. And that's what we start talking about in my book happens shhh happens dog behavior 101 and by me Janice Wolf you go on amazon just put in shhh happens dog behavior 101 and you can download the book for i think it's like 9.99 or something now why is that a good book because the book tells you and teaches you how to think like a dog and you will see when you start teaching your dog because he's a dog and you're using dog language, then all of a sudden this dog starts behaving much better. You start getting that dog following rules because he understands what the rules are. And the other thing that I highly recommend and we talk about every other week or so is making sure he's on good food and he's on good healthy vitamins. Um, We use the NuVet, N-U-V-E-T dot com. Uh, the NuVet Plus Canine Wafers, which my dogs, like, love. They're like doggy crack. Um, if anybody wants to order them, you can get them on the, that website, nuvet.com, N-U-V-E-T.com. Uh, the uh, discount code that saves you 15% is 86686. But if the dog is understanding the rules, if he's not hungry and he's not feeling starving all the time, He's going to behave better and you want to make sure that, again, we'll talk about it next week, but you want to make sure that the dog has the proper nutrition. He has everything he needs and he has the rules he needs. Once your dog understands what it is that you're even looking for, then you can set him up for success because now he knows, ah, I'm not allowed to jump on people when they come in the front door. I'm not allowed to run out an open door. I'm not allowed to pee in the house. I'm not allowed to jump on furniture with it without being asked if it's okay and and my getting permission. I'm not allowed to do you know things like running ahead of my parents up and downstairs. I'm not allowed to do that. And that's my book will will teach you that it happens. Dog so Behavior One Hundred and One on Amazon. It'll teach you that. The most important thing that you guys can do. And, um, you know, I also have um, a great website called Wyatt's List, W-Y-A-T-T-S-L-I-S-T, Wyatt'sList.com. And you can look at a lot of the things, even for everything from picking a new puppy to how do you determine if it's a good boarding facility, how to find a good trainer or find a good behaviorist. That's something we're going to talk about in the second half of the show in our shelter dog to service dog section about the difference between an obedience trainer or uh, a behaviorist, a real behaviorist, and we're going to talk about that because that's important when you're training a service dog. But it's important to be consistent, and it's important to give clarity to the dog. Listen, we buy dogs or we adopt a dog or we find a dog or we rescue a dog. We're going to have, God willing, 10 years or more with that dog. Don't you want to have a bunch of joyous, happy years? instead of having dogs who are winding up euthanized or or dumped in shelters or relinquished because the dogs are having such bad behavior. And yes, I'll blame it all day long on a lot of the genetic and congenital disasters we have um, with a lot of these uh, dogs that are being bred for money and that nobody really even knows what they're doing and the dogs are just bred every six months on and on and on. Um, A lot of it is that. But even so, if you're consistent, many of those dogs will turn into great dogs anyway. Just be consistent. Make sure that the dog understands what it is you want. What are you asking of him? And you'll have a way happier dog, a better relationship with your dog, and probably better relationship with your spouse or your significant other. So let's talk about things And uh, in the second half. In the, from shelter dog to service dog, we're going to be talking about the difference between a trainer, an obedience trainer, a service dog trainer, and a behaviorist, and explain to you what you might need if you're trying to train your dog to be a service dog or a therapy dog. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Oh. We were talking earlier about how we were going to communicate with our dogs. And now we're going to talk about how you can bring that philosophy into training your dog, your pet, to be a therapy dog potentially, a service dog, or just a great companion dog. So clarity is so important. And a good obedience trainer, like my buddy Ryan and uh, over at uh, Petco, Um, he's, he's a great obedience trainer because he's very clear with the dogs and yes, he's using treats, but the dogs, the timing is very important. He's got great timing. And that's one thing that I've always been really good at as well, because I do all that timing because I've got horses and when you're riding dressage, which is the type of riding I do horseback riding and I train horses to do things as well, timing is everything. There's something called a canter depart, and I'll explain it to you as this. If you are trying to make your horse gallop or run or what we call canter, and you don't time it right, your horse will run into it, and he'll go from a walk to a trot, and then he'll just kind of, we call falling into a canter. Now, why is that bad? Because the horse at that moment is very unstable in his movement, and it's not able to do this really good, clean, nice, what we call canter depart. So timing is super, super important because the timing of how you time a thousand pound plus horse who is going to be leaving the ground with you and doing this uh, amazing work is everything. If you're off by a split second, he is now off on his timing and you can't make him do what you want him to do. And typically, people will get very, very upset with the horse because the horse doesn't do what they want. But what it really is a problem of their timing. Well, obedience is all about timing. So if you are trying to teach a dog how to sit and you hold your hand up and you bring your hand back a little bit over the dog, just slowly... The reason that that works is because he looks up at the treat. You go backward and up. So toward him over kind of almost over to over his head. So he's got to look at it. Well, the easiest thing for him is to sit down. So when he sits immediately, he gets the treat and he starts learning. Oh, if you put your hand up there and I put my rear end on the ground, I get a cookie gee, that sounds like a pretty simple thing. That's timing. If you want the dog to do something, but you don't have that proper timing, all that's going to happen is the dog's going to be backing up and backing up and backing up and backing up. And if he sits and you don't give him the treat immediately when he sits or mark it with like a clicker or something like that, which I'm not a huge fan, but I mean, it works for certain things. And I'm happy to use anything that works, but... We'll talk about what I do after this. But obedience is not going to change behavior. If you have a dog who's aggressive, if you have a dog who has behavioral issues, you can try all day long to give them cookies and to make them sit, go to your place, no, leave it, whatever. And the dog isn't going to change because the only way behavior will change is by getting the behavior to change in the dog's brain. So body position doesn't change behavior. All it does is change body position. So obedience is repetition, a reward or a bribe, right? And But the dog will sit. But this is the problem. People will tell me all day long, you know, I, I taught my dog how to, you know, do this and I, I taught him how to do that. But you know what the problem is? You know, he doesn't seem to, like, listen if we don't have a cookie or if he's not you know, feeling the, the mood. Um, and so then what did you really teach them? You're bribing them. It's like tell your kids you're going to bribe your children, um, you know, to do something like, uh, you know, like get good grades in school. You want to teach the child that good grades are a reward in themselves. And because you're so proud of your child for getting these great grades, what happens? He gets what he would have loved to have, but he didn't do it because of that. He's just getting a reinforcement because he did that. So obedience is the most common form of training. Now, what's wrong with obedience in training a therapy dog or a service dog? Well, therapy dog, probably you can get away with it. But you don't want dogs to become so food motivated because if they're going into a nursing home, if they're going into a children's hospital, there's food around you don't want the dog to focus on food, you want him to focus on the child or on the individual to whom he is going to be visiting. So, what do you do when your dog is super food motivated like we have a dog named Miller? Well, what do you do when the dog wants a piece of food? So, if you're using food as its own reward or reinforcement, Remember that that's what he's going to be doing when he's thinking about doing that trick or that, that behavior, and if, for whatever reason, that dog sees a piece of food on the ground, he's going to think it's his, and he may just go for it, and you're going to get upset, but you're teaching him to be motivated by food. So what's a better way to do it? Well, there are other kinds of trainings. There's electronic training collars, which are shot collars, even if they vibrate, like a TENS machine. Somebody said, oh, it's like a TENS machine. Uh, a trainer said that. I said, yeah, a TENS machine. You know, crank that up. And they said, oh, put it on your arm. You'll see it's not so bad. Really? Put it on your throat or your private and then give me the little controller. and Let me crank it up. It depends where you have that thing. If you have that on your throat, it's a very, very, threatening thing for a dog. And I've seen so many times where I can tell when I go into a person's home and the person goes to put the leash or the collar on to go for a walk and the dog gets aggressive or runs because a lot of times they have either a very, very rough training uh, with somebody who shouldn't be touching dogs uh, or, or animals, in my opinion, or they have a shock collar or even sometimes the e-collar for the electric fence around somebody's yard. So you have to really be careful and think about it. Think like a dog and think about what it would be. What does the dog think? How is his perception of reality different from yours? So if that dog feels that, uh uh-oh, you're putting a collar on me, which means I can then have pain, he might even eventually get aggressive. And I've seen that quite a bit. So if... You are going to use some kind of gadget. I don't, I've rarely seen anybody, uh, especially private people who can at all come close to what they should be doing on the timing for those shot collars. I am adamant against them. Um, the only time I would believe in them is if I can't fix that dog and we've had that dog to everybody who can't fix the dog and I can't fix the dog. And if that's the dog's last hope, then. We got to do what we got to do because it's not about our egos. It's about making sure that these dogs aren't euthanized and that these dogs aren't going to hurt somebody or something if if we keep them without the training. So you have to look at it like that. It's not about manhandling your dog. It's not about being mean to your dog. It's about being clear, clarity, clarity and understanding. Let your dog know that, This is the way it is, and this is just the way it goes, and this is the rule, and this is the way we're going to do it here. And through consistency, he will learn that. Now, what happens, because there's so many other kinds of training, how about police training? Now, I've got 30 years of police canine in my background because of who my husband was, and I did a lot of training with him, and I've trained cancer and disease detection dogs for 20-plus years. I've trained narcotics dogs. For 35 years, I know exactly what to do. But patrol dogs, and, and this is a bad thing, I'm going to let the secret out. Most police departments, and they'll tell you if they're being honest, they will tell you, if the dog doesn't bite, they can sometimes make it bite in other ways. I won't tell that because I don't want that to be out there. Um, but if the dog bites the wrong person, let's say the dog is going towards a perpetrator, and a child walks by, and if that dog were to go after the child, the person would correct the dog. Or if the dog uh, redirects aggression and bites the handler, they call it either he- helicoptering or airplaning. Um, and they, I shouldn't tell you, but I'll tell you, they, they basically pick the dog up and they swing it around their head or their shoulders, basically in a circle and then they either drop the dog down or somebody grabs the back legs and they drop the dog down to the ground. And when the dog comes to because it's been choked off by a choke collar, by a pinch collar um, or a choker chain, the dog learns not to rebite or bite the wrong person. Now, if that's what people want to do and that works for police, I'm going to defer to that even though I think it's horrible because I don't do it and I can't control Ignorance. I can't control other people what they think, and I shouldn't control other people, nor should anyone try to control me or anybody else. So thinking about it, think like a dog, what kind of level of trust and respect is that dog going to have for you if you treat it like that? Or if you're zapping it or if you're using like the crazy company that they throw these, it looks like a kind of a Frisbee or something, uh, with a bicycle chain in it, they throw it at the dog. Oh, excuse me, you throw it toward the dog. So if you have good aim, it's toward the dog. If you have bad aim, it's at the dog. If you're throwing a knife toward me, or you're throwing a knife at me, I'm still going to get away from it because it's the wrong energy. You're gonna, you're trying to hurt something, so that's obviously no good. Now, what, what's the difference between training and and like, let's say, you know, behavior? Well, behavior isn't about the body at all. So think about it. When an aggressive dog or a fearful dog bites someone, what part of its body is it biting with? So what part of its body, let's say you take, you know, let's take, you take this one of these poodle mixes that we were talking about earlier. Let's say it's a real nasty little poodle mix, okay, and it's 15 pounds. And it grabs onto you and it breaks the skin and it rips a good chunk off of you, which I've seen. And I've had that happen to me with these little guys, cute as they are. They're kind of hellions very often. So what happens when the dog does that, right? What part of the dog's body was it that bit me or that bit you or that bit the the owner? So what's everybody going to say? Janice, are you out of your mind? The mouth bit, the teeth bit. Like, what are you talking about? That's the wrong answer, completely the wrong answer. What did the dog do? What did the dog bite with? Well, think about it. Did the dog's mouth just randomly say, Mouse, I'm going to go bite that person. No, the brain told the mouth what to do. If the brain tells the mouth to bite, the mouth bites. If the brain tells the mouth not to bite, then the mouth doesn't bite. So we have to change what's in the dog's brain, which has zero to do with the honey boo-boo school of obedience training that some people prescribe to. And, and what would that be? The obedience through obesity. Just keep feeding the dog and it can't do anything else. It'll get so fat it won't be able to move out of its own way. So the whole issue here is think like a dog, think, use your brain. The brain, the human brain, is the most important and critical tool in rehabilitating a dog with behavioral issues. You can't look at it as the dog's biting. You have to look at what's making the dog think it needs to bite. So going back to the young boy, the little guy who was like three three years old, Um, the one who uh, got bitten by the dog multiple times, right? So what was going on? Mom wasn't teaching little junior that you respect the animal. You don't pick it up like it's a stuffed animal. And get rid of the dog? Well, you can get rid of the dog, but then don't get another dog until that child's much, much older. I find that quite often that people think, oh, it'll be cute, they'll grow up together. That's why I'm so busy. That's why I got so many people who need help because I can't fix stupid. And I'm kind of glad I can't fix stupid because if I could, there'd be no no reason for me or for, for other good behaviorists, legitimate behaviorists. So thinking about it, think like a dog. If the dog thinks that you are not protecting him, then he's got to protect himself. So, how do you train a service dog or how do you train a therapy dog? Is it training or is it behavior? Well, it depends on whom you speak with. If you speak with an obedience trainer who's never trained or has trained one, you know, and there's different levels of things. It's like, "Hey, I've got a Porsche." "Well, yes, you have a Porsche, but it's a little toy model Porsche that's falling apart and it's an inch and a half long. You do have a Porsche. You're not lying." But it's not really much to look at, right? It's not important. Versus somebody who says, I have a Porsche, and they have a brand-new Porsche race car, like a, you know, let's say a 911 Targa or whatever, 928S, whatever it is that you, you like. But it's still, when somebody says, I'm, I, I'm a dog trainer, that does not mean that they know how to train service dogs or therapy dogs, but especially service dogs. Do not pay anybody money. If they say, when you ask them, how many service dogs have you trained and which kinds of service dogs? If they say, oh, I've trained three, what kind of service dogs? Well, you know, service dogs. Well, what kind of service dogs? What did you, what tasks did you train the dog to perform? And let, you know, also if you have a local dog trainer who's given it a shot to help you and goes, well, I've never trained a service dog before, I'll give it a shot. You don't know what the hell you're doing. Do not pay that person. That's like, You go to a surgeon and he goes, well, I've actually never done a surgery. You'll be my first one and I'm going to charge a full price. No, if I have to have my leg worked on and I have to have a surgery and I can't get the best surgeon in the world and you're going to do it, well, hell, I'm not paying you for it. You don't know what the hell you're doing. And I'm assuming, obviously, that, you know, we're talking about, you know, being silly and a bit facetious, but. If somebody says, "Well, I train service dogs," well, that's great. How many? What was your success rate? How long did it take? Give me an amount that it will cost me to train this dog, and what guarantees do you have if you can't train this dog to be a service dog? And you'll hear, "Well, uh, well, I, I've trained. Um, you know, I've trained. I've trained uh, over forty obedience dogs. Well, Forty is for me is about two weeks of clients is forty. So if they haven't done." let's say, two, three, four hundred dogs, you shouldn't be hiring them as an obedience trainer and paying. If they haven't trained at least, and I would say bare minimum, 10 really good, well-trained, legitimate service dogs, you shouldn't be paying them. You should look for somebody who says, I train diabetic alert dogs. I train... PTSD dogs. Okay, great. PTSD dogs. What does a PTSD dog do? Oh, well, the people pet it and they feel better. That is not a service dog. So, if it's a PTSD dog, say so what kind of tasks do you train this dog to perform for a person with PTSD? So, does the dog wake the person up from nightmares? From night terrors? Oh, no. Okay. Does the dog put physical space between the person and the people around him or her, without growling or snarling or doing anything aggressively or dominant? No? Okay. Does the dog guide the person out if they're having a panic attack? Does it guide them out of the, the store or guide them out of the restaurant? No? So what exactly do you train these dogs to do? Um. Well, you know, we, we train them to lay there and, you know, you pet the dog and you feel better. Well, that isn't a service dog if you enter with anybody, I don't care who it is, say, what tasks are you going to train the dog to perform? So first of all, public access is not a task. That's a requirement. The dog should have a bare minimum of six months of public access. Not that he's been out three times to stores because they will act differently. That dog should be exposed all over the place. That dog should be in hardware stores and restaurants and all over. And guess what? You can't, even if you're a trainer, you can't take a dog out and say, oh, this is a service dog, you have to let me in. It isn't a service dog unless it's with the person for whom the service is being performed. So, for instance, if you then say that, let's say, the dog is being trained uh, for PTSD mitigation then the dog has to be trained for public access, and the dog also has to be trained to be around children, to be around other dogs, to be in public places, to be on trains, buses, cars, different kinds of cars, around different kind of dogs, brachycephalic dogs, chihuahuas, Great Danes, alpacas, horses, cows. If I tell you the things that Wyatt was exposed to, we had alpacas, horses, We had 60 Longhorn Steer when my friend Temple Brandon was inducted into the Cowgirl Hall of Fame in Fort Worth, Texas, and we were in the Fort Worth Stockyards. And Wyatt went up into a stagecoach, and the gentleman driving stagecoach asked me, ma'am, how's your dog on a stagecoach? And I said, well, we're from New Jersey, and we've never been on a stagecoach, but we've been in other situations, and he'll be just fine. Wyatt jumped up into the stagecoach, when we, after we were gone and we were done, we came back, there were 60 longhorn steers, literally five feet. So he came down and there were all these like just huge steers and cattle there uh, with the longhorns. And they you know, it's a little intimidating, but he didn't care about it because he had been so acclimatized and so used to and so trained around all these different situations that. Suddenly, it didn't even matter what was there because he didn't care what was there. That's how your dog has to be if it's going to be public access trained. So I'd like to focus a little bit more on this again next week. Remember, MerlinsKids.org. Go right to our website. Go to our Facebook, Merlins Kids Service Dogs on Facebook. So you can look us up. And you'll see what we do and we do also allow people to see some of the training sessions because we're super proud of the level of what our dogs are able to do. We'll have 16 dogs, 15 dogs in a group safe spot where all the dogs are just laying on a little mat next to each other. Just there. We'll have other dogs running around. We'll have people running and jogging and stepping over them and, and throwing things and everything else. And these dogs, aren't flustered at all. And if you're not going to have a dog that's that well-behaved and that well-trained, then contact us, and we'll help you with it. 855-449-9288. I'm sorry, 855-449-9288. It was just a pleasure to have you with us today, and unfortunately we are finished, and time goes so quickly. But have a great, healthy, happy weekend, Um, Happy St. Patrick's Day a bit late and hope that everybody has a wonderful COVID-free next week. God bless. Take care. Talk to you next week.